The Larry Kudlow Show. Free market prosperity starts here. Now, here's Larry Kudlow. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Larry Kudlow. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. We'll reset. Join us during the week. Fox Business Network. The name of the show is Kudlow. 4 to 5 p.m. every day, Monday through Friday. And by the way, you can uh, get us here on the radio and the Internet, live streaming the Internet, LarryKudlowShow.com, LarryKudlowShow.com. You can hear us throughout the country. Actually, we've got about a, what have we got, about 150 affiliates now. I mean, that's pretty much right there, but you can get even more on the Internet and around the globe and throughout the solar system and the Milky Way. So let's do some stock market work. Um, pretty good week for stocks. Dow is up over a thousand points. Nasdaq up 398, almost 400 points. The S and P up uh, 138 points. And for the quarter, the first quarter, uh, the Dow was kind of flat, but the Nas was up almost 17 percent, and the S and P 500, the broad index, was up seven percent. So from the last Two economists that were on in the segment before this, bailout nation is working. Stocks like bailouts. The banking crisis may be over. Whatever you own, they're going to bail you out. Deposits, bonds, stocks. What a great country this is, big government socialism. So we have David Bonson, who's the founder and managing partner of the Bonson Group, and he's the author of There's No Free Lunch, 250 Economic Truths. I wonder if one of them bail everybody out. And he has a video series. It's called No Free Lunch. I'm a six-part series in defense of free markets. I'm for that. We just don't have any. <laughs> and Jim Urio, director, TJM Institutional Services, Chicago's leading restaurateur. And he's, you know, they got a new, maybe a new mayor coming up. When's Jim Urio? When's that election? Uh, April 4th, I believe, this week. Paul Vallis versus Brandon Johnson. Brandon Johnson was one of these defund the police guys. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, he's trying to pretend he wasn't. Like, there's just all this video evidence. of What what the heck was that even supposed to mean, defund the police? But anyway, let's, let's not get me going on that. He's the, he's the teacher's union guy, right? The teacher's union owns him, right? They owned him. They, they gave him, like, three million bucks. And all of the top five donors are all the big unions. It's, it's absolutely crazy. <laughs> and the, uh, the other guy is... What, a reformed socialist, or what, what is he? He's like, okay, he's, it's, 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 as, long, as long as it's just you and me and there's nobody listening. No, he nobody. sounded a lot like a Republican a couple of years ago, yeah. and now he's, I like him. I've done some work with him on the, the radio station here, uh, Salem Radio in Chicago, and he's a, he's a good guy. Uh, he used to say some really good things, and now he's saying some really weird things, but I think that's what you got to do to get elected in Chicago. Yeah, I think he's about eight basis points better than the teacher's union guy. That's Oh, about without any question, without any question. And David Bonson stocks love bailouts. Bonds love bailouts. Everybody loves bailouts. Bailout Nation. What do you make of this? I mean, look, no free lunch video series. <laughs> I'm for that. But what about the rest of the country, David? Well, I guess it depends on what we think is getting bailed out, Larry. I mean, Silicon Valley Bank is at $0 a share where it belongs. There were, at the beginning of March, some equity holders of Silicon Valley Bank, including the team that worked there, that were really wealthy. And they're broke now. Uh, the bondholders, they uh, their bonds are at zero cents on the dollar. So there's no bailout for them. But, you know, the Fed has sort of existed for a few decades now as a quasi-bailout nation. And it turns up and down at different times. And no one knows exactly what the rules are. 
And uh, I think that there is an ambiguity underlying the financial system, and it did not start a month ago. Started at the financial crisis. Uh, some would argue it started before that, um, but we are we are living in weird times. Yeah, well, so basically, you're right. The Silicon Valley people got hurt, but um, basically, uh, Yellen and uh, Yellen especially that they're basically guaranteeing all deposits now. That's basically the way I read it. And then the Fed's going to buy your bonds back. They may be worth eighty cents, but they're going to buy it at, at a par at a hundred cents on the dollar. So those Silicon Valley well, guys just got hurt, but everybody else is okay. Yeah, I mean, look, I think that we're talking about two different things, Larry. The um, the issue of the Treasury bonds are not credit impaired, right? It is a, a duration risk, and it, we've just simply never seen something where um, a bank goes down with no impairment, no credit impairment whatsoever. Right. Uh, the no missed principal payments, no missed interest payments. It wasn't broken commercial real estate. It wasn't broken subprime mortgage. It wasn't broken high yield, like the savings and loan. And, and yet, because people were running these things at uh, mark to market, it weren't running at mark to market. Um, and the duration had killed them. Interest rates had skyrocketed higher. They weren't hedging. And so the Fed comes in and, and makes them whole um, on a par basis. Look, I I think that Janet Yellen is wrong to leave it implicit. Uh, If they want to say we're going to explicitly back all depositors, then fine, let them say it, and then let's figure out how they plan to pay for that, what the charge to the banking system will be. But what I learned from Fannie and Freddie is the only thing worse than bailing out and the only thing worse than not bailing out is sort of bailing out and never really telling anyone what the rules are. That's what we're doing now. Yeah, well... Some people would say it was pretty explicit, but it wasn't formally put into place. But look, this is a well, great country. Ba- there's only two banks, Larry. There's only two banks in the country that the depositors right now have been told they're backed. And I agree with you that the rest, there's no way if another bank went down, they wouldn't do it. Right. But that's not explicit. It's implicit. Yeah. Okay. Big government socialism. Is that explicit or implicit? <laughs> Both. <laughs> <laughs> is it my turn? Yes, yes both. It's, it's your turn. Right? It's your turn. It's both. But just to add on what you guys are just saying, how about at the beginning when Janet Yellen looked us all in the eye and said, if you banked at a bank that was insignificant, any small community bank or regional bank, you weren't going to be banked and backed, and the only people who were were going to be the huge banks that couldn't fall, fail, in her opinion. I mean, what kind of, that was chilling to me. It was like, what are you trying to do here? Have everybody pulled their deposits out from local community banks, particularly companies that are running their payrolls out of those and flocking to Bank of America just because you can control Bank of America better? It's amazing to me that she said that, and I know she's backed off it, but and I, I kind of think – is she just a knucklehead or is she just someone who really wants to drive everything into the top 10 banks so they can control them a lot easier? And I do think it's a little bit of both. But to, to your point, Bailout Nation, I think it's sad as heck. And you and I have actually been discussing this probably for 20 years, mm-hmm. that I think Fed liquidity, bailouts, injecting money in the system is good for the stock market. It's sad that I think that. Like, It's nothing, nothing like enthusiastic about buying the stock market. But I do think if the stock market has a good week next week, I think it's it's more important than all these terrible fundamental things we are seeing where the market is complacent, believing that the bank problem is, is totally corralled right now, which I think is nonsense. But I do think the stocks could do do well. I want to see some strength on Monday and Tuesday, but uh, it's interesting to me. Well, that's important. That's important because it finished, uh, finished the week strong. David Bunsen, um, do you think the stock market is poised for uh, more of a rally, whatever the um, whatever the rationale may be? 
Yeah, I think that a lot of the market probably is still. Like I was commenting in my weekly bulletin, energy stocks are trading at nine times earnings. Mm. Nine times. It's uh, barely half of its historical multiple. Um, the tech side is back up to 24 times. I don't. I think that's gotten frothy again, and there's always a sort of cool factor or popularity factor with some of that, and it's not the, the tool we swim in. But I do think that um, fundamentally uh, earnings uh, are going to be very interesting this quarter, more, more than last quarter. The, the um, second quarter that will re- report first quarter results is going to give us a better chance to see where guidance is coming. And then now I do think that we're either at the point of a Fed pause or eventually a Fed reduction in rates. And the markets are going to be pricing that way ahead of time. And so there's just a, a very interesting dynamic where I got to say the bears have had a very difficult time because they used two different rationales to say why we were going to drop thousands of points. And neither one came, to, came together. For what, what you mean when you say the uh, profits are going to be interesting? You mean interesting up or down? I think that profits are going to be uh, unimpressive as far as year-over-year growth, mm. but not showing a big deterioration. Mm. And you really need a deterioration of profits to give the bear something to cheer about. Jim Murio, uh, to David's point, um, a pause and then Fed rates come down. The last segment we had, uh, we had Mike Falkender and John Carney, uh, they felt that uh, the Fed's target rate was going to go up and that the inflation numbers, we got a fresh batch of them, the February personal income statement, you know, it's still running 45 to 5% inflation, the target is 2 and they think there's a disconnect uh, between you know, bond trading and maybe stock trading and what the Fed is actually going to do because I mean, I, some of these markets are pricing in, uh, as David just said, a pause and then rate a series of rate cuts. Um, they didn't think so. Which side of that trade are you on? You know, if I can't decide, I'm on the side of the market. And not, not only is the market saying rate eases, they're saying 150 points of eases by a year from this coming summer. Mm. So, I mean, it's not as significant. And again, if you look historically, tightening cycles are usually met very quickly with easy cycles. And the reason that is, is because there's a tremendous lag effect to the tool that they use. These rate acts, so inflation's coming down. You just acknowledge that. I believe that too. So then you must ask yourself the question, how much of that inflation coming down is from healing the supply chains, is from the federal government who's still acting in opposition to inflation coming down, but is not giving as much money to people who are spending it quickly. So those things are kind of coming off. M2 growth is coming down. Mm. So have the rate hikes even really hit us yet? If there's a six to nine month lag time, and some of them obviously have, and there's probably less of a lag time now than it used to be. But I think the Fed won't go anymore. And I do think the Fed will probably be easy, maybe not to the tune of 150 base points. But I think if they're smart, they'll see what's going on. Inflation is coming down. Supply routes are healing a bit. Um, I think if they're smart, they won't do anything. You know, it's interesting, sort of like, what is the Fed watching? Because the M2 money supply growth has come down. It's really plunging. The leading indicators index is plunging. Uh, these Fed manufacturing surveys are plunging. And, of course, the yield curve is deeply inverted. Um, so, David Monson, I, but those are – I guess one would say forward-looking indicators, which the central banks could and probably should look at them, but I don't think they do. 
I mean, they probably look, they just look at, I don't even know sometimes what they look at, but they do have this PCE deflator target, which is still hovering close to 5%. So it's like, which is, what should they do? Well, uh, what they should do and what they will do and what they have done are all three different things. And, and as far as I'm concerned, what they should do is become humble and not believe that they're supposed to be the um, adjudicator of financial markets or the adjudicator of what the cost of capital ought to be. I do not believe that they were the primary cause of the inflation that we had, and I do not believe they're the primary cause of the inflation coming down. And my concern now is that we are reiterating this idea that the Fed is a deity, that the Fed is able to cure things that they're not able to cure. And because of my belief that uh, I'm a supply sider to the core, uh, inspired and mentored by my hero, Larry Kudlow, um, I think that the lack of production of goods and services for a two-year period of unforgivable lockdowns was the primary cause of inflation. Mm -hmm. And the Fed couldn't do anything about that with the interest rate. In housing, I think that it was a cost of capital was a big factor. But other than that, I really believe that the Fed is being given deity-like powers that they don't deserve. What they ought to do is nothing whatsoever at the next meeting. And then basically, Larry, what they're going to do is start to push rates down when they realize that we're in a Japan-like cycle of not being able to get the economic growth we need to get. We don't have enough supply side uh, aspects in the economy that will allow us to see three to four percent real GDP growth. And that's what we have to get to. The government can't afford the debt. And that's the Herb Stein line I've got to come back to. If something can't happen, it won't. They can't leave the Fed funds rate at five percent. Okay, our, our, our country's uh, bond portfolio, our debt profile is very short duration. And as these bonds are now uh, reinvesting at very, very high rates of interest, the government can't afford it. Therefore, the Fed will not allow it to happen. Well, I think asking the Fed for a dose of humility is um, a noble statement. But tall order, though. But I think the Fed will never have a dose of humility. Can I push back on what David said just for a second sure. there real quick? Go right ahead. Okay, so, so you said that, that the supply chain locking everything down caused all the, uh, you know, caused the greatest amount of inflation. And actually, I agree with you, too. But I do think it's, it's a little too forgiving. In June of 2021, when CPI had already printed 5%, the housing market was clearly on this parabolic run hotter. The Fed said it was transitory and then still bought $250 billion just of mortgage backs to support a housing market that was already flying. So even if the Fed is down your list of inflation causers, they certainly didn't do what they were supposed to do when the door was open at crack. Do you acknowledge that? Well, Jim, of course I do. But I think it's different than blaming them for piling on versus causing it. In other words, if what we're saying is a fire started and they didn't start the fire, but they came and poured gasoline on it. I'm totally with you. Good. Now that well, buying of mortgage, bo- the buying of mortgage bonds, it, to me, did not exacerbate house prices going up. It's even worse than that. It did nothing whatsoever. It was totally unhelpful, unnecessary, and basically distortive in financial markets. So this is one of the criticisms I've had with my friends on the right, Jim, through this period. Is I want to hammer the Fed for exacerbating boom-bust cycles, for distorting markets, for intervening where they need not intervene. That's what they do. That's different than blaming them 
uh, for the inflation. I think well, I'll blame them for the inflation. More, I mean, I think, yeah, I think they're one of the causes. I think fiscal and monetary policy, both sides, were vastly overly stimulative. Going back to uh, late 2020, early 21, both both sides. I agree that this. Um, I I think the supply shortages uh, played a role, but I think the, the Fed monetized that every step of the way. And I think government spending uh, was actually in this particular cycle, the increase in government spending, uh, which essentially shoveled money into people's pockets and their deposits, was monetized by the Fed. So I, I would give them the bulk, the two sides, government spending and monetary policy. I would give them the bulk of the blame. But we have to take a quick break. We've got to take okay. a quick break, come back. You can argue against it. David Bonson of the Bonson Group, Jim Urio of TJM Institutional Services. I'm Kudlow. We'll be right back. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. I'm Ben Affleck, and I want to thank Radio 77, WABC. Welcome back, folks. We're talking stocks. We've got Dave Bonson of the Bonson Group, and we've got uh, Jim Urio of TJM Institutional Services. You know, Jim Urio, it's interesting that... Last week, uh, energy led the list up 6%, but you got a lot of six economic sensitive stuff, which surprises me. Uh, consumer discretionary up 5.6%, materials up 4.9%, industrials up 4.4%. Those are the, the big leaders. So that's sort of, I mean, you could say that's forecasting an economic rebound. I, I don't see an economic rebound. I see an economic decline, but I may well be wrong. What do you think about that? No, I agree with you on that, too. And I'm not switching over to those sectors yet. And, you know, what I've liked the most since back since October has been, you know, gold, silver, and copper. And copper, I know, kind of falls into that, too. But it was kind of a, a play on China and, um, you know, uh, decarbonization movements throughout the world, too. So I'm still mostly on those. Now, crude has jumped into my list. Too, um, technically, and I'm not sure if it's a rebound thing, too, because part of it is China. Part of it is the fact that at some point in time, the U.S. is going to announce that they have to buy back some of the SPR, and I think that could move well. Um, but I want to settle maybe above 85, but then I think we could head up to 100 again in crude within the next six months, maybe eight months. You know, there was a good piece. I can't remember where I saw this piece that just said basically the election, uh, the midterm elections uh, were – I won't say one, but Democrats outperformed expectations. And the principal reason for that was the lower gasoline prices, uh, which were coming down a lot uh, in the second half of last year because of the strategic petroleum reserve sales. I mean, it was, you know, just a politically manipulated market. Yeah, and I'm not sure how huge a, a part it played, but it definitely played a part. Yeah. And that is, it's completely reprehensible to think about that. They can sell us stuff that we own just to get them a better spot in the election. I, I'm just amazed that that was happening when it was. You're it's right. Crazy. I mean, and, you know, David Bonson, it was absolute political interference, what, whatever weight you give to it insofar as the drop in gasoline prices are concerned. And now, uh, so you, you got it down. Well, of course, oil prices have come back a a little bit. I mean, they're in the mid, mid to low 60s. At one point, crude is closed at 75, 67. Brent is a little higher, 79, called $80. But I don't know. Do you think they'll buy it back? They buy it back, it's possible gasoline prices will go up. I mean, the, the way the Bidens see the world, again, this is uh, bailout nation. They may not buy it back. 
We just damaged our uh, strategic petroleum reserve energy security. Yeah, well, uh, Secretary Granholm said they'd be buying it back at seventy seventy one. They had an order on the books in January when it hit that price that they canceled. It was uh, eight days ago, a whopping eight days ago, that it was at sixty six. Yep. There were no orders. Uh, it's come back to seventy five. Um, this is one of the great secrets in, in oil markets. Everyone knows that there's a bid uh, for. They have to be refilling SPR. Mm. So will they try to delay it? Um, I'm sure they will. But uh, at some point, Business. some administration's got to fill that up, and, <laughs> and our U.S. oil company's got to meet that order. All right, kids. Thank you very much, Dave Bonson and Jim Urio. Folks, stick around. We're going to do some money in politics with Hogan Gidley. And Steve Moore, I'm Cudlow. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours, like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply.